This podcast is for the sales professionals at every level. If you want to convert more prospects into paying customers, then you're in the right place. Because Joe has spent the last three decades mastering buying behaviors, personality types, emotional and logical triggers. This is the Sales Genius Podcast. It's only a numbers game if you want educated. It's time to get educated. All right, uh, let's be respectful. It's 202. Thanks for all of you that jumped on early. Everybody out in Facebook land, there's a bunch of you based on the viewer count. I want to say welcome. And I am thoroughly excited today to bring you Gene McNaughton, okay, author of The Sales Edge, as you could probably tell because it's on the screen there. But that's not that's not all he is. So what I want you guys to understand, Gene is one of those individuals that goes in and he can consult on any business that's out there and turn it around. Gene has been doing this for a number of years. I was fortunate enough to run into Gene down in Newport Beach. He was down at Fashion Island doing an event. That's right. With with uh, Joseph McClendon, and <laughs> there was a bunch of a bunch of people that were out there. But I went with Bob Donnell. Went down there. It was John Jubilee. I think was the other person that was out there. And so in looking back, I got there and I was like, you know what I really need to do? I need to meet this person. Right. And one of the things I want to tell you is that we're all presented with opportunities to talk to individuals that are there, that when you go to an event to speak, and it was a shift for me a long time ago. And Gene was one of those first people that I decided to put my, uh, my, my actions behind my words. And so in there, listening to Gene talk and li- listening to him speak and talk about sales and to talk with the passion in which he delivers it, I said, you know what? I need to know this person. And so I immediately walked over, shook his hand, said, hello, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. We need to connect. Now, Gene's one of those really smart people is great. Here's the, a link. Go to this. You can remember this, right? Blah, blah, blah. And he spotted out the link, right? Like talk with Gene or something like that. Yep. I was like, meet with Gene.com. Yeah. Right. I said, that's amazing. And so from there, scheduled the 15 minute consultation call and went through. And from that, he changed my ability to prospect to businesses from that phone call. And so it's it's my hopes today that you guys get to understand the magic and the genius that is Gene McNaughton. And so, Gene, I would like you to say hello to everybody in the war games world. Hey, everybody in War Games. I'm also a huge fan of Joe and hop on these podcast or his podcast often. And, you know, I'm, I'm just like you. We're, we're all in this same game of learning more, digesting more, and working to be even more effective than we have. I and mean, the beauty about what we do is there's no income ceiling that, you know, we get to control how good we do or not, right? It sucks when things aren't going great. But when you have the right skill set, you do the right things over and over again. After 30 years of being in sales or leadership or training or consulting, you start to realize that the patterns of creating success in sales management and leadership, you know, you see it enough. Like Tony Robbins, you know, he always says, I'd have to be an idiot at this stage not to see that there are consistent patterns that create 
positive outcomes or, or your business outcomes or success, whatever you call that. And, you know, I get a little time here to share some stuff with you. And I want to acknowledge all of you that, look, you know, somebody's driving there and you got two people are driving, you got stuff going on. And the fact that you're taking a moment to invest in yourself, it says a lot about you. You study the habits and patterns of successful people in any endeavor, sports, business, politics, whatever. It's, you know, that people realize you, you get rewarded in public for the things you practice the most in private. So let's get going, Joe, because I want to drop some some of my best stuff for you. If you can get some value out of this, that's that's what the main goal is. All right, everybody, everybody get ready that? to write because Gene is about to drop it. So yeah, and this is being recorded, so if you're driving, don't stress. Here's the <laughs> bottom line is you cannot, we cannot continue to deploy old techniques on a new playing field. And I was using this slide well before COVID hit, but it's even more important now. We're in a new world. We're in a new buying world. We're in a new world of getting to people in a different way. We can't do drop-ins anymore, or in most cases, you can't do drop-ins. Everybody and their brother now has SDRs. And as soon as you put your information in for the webinar or the download or to see the video, and I don't know if I, you're the, I'm the only one experiencing this, but then it's, email, text, phone call, email, text, phone call. And what happens when there's so much of that going on, it becomes even more noise. It becomes even harder for us to stand out. You spend any time on social media, which I'm sure you all do, especially on LinkedIn. I mean, you can't flip through your scroll, through your feed without seeing another person saying, use my system to get appointments, or you don't need to use the phone to get appointments, or some say you only use the phone, or you got to use them all. But what I know to be true, while there's a varying degree of what you need to do and say and how you say it to get into the appointment, Nobody's talking about when you get the appointment, what is the best way to run the initial appointment? And it doesn't matter what it is you're selling, all of your efforts to prospect or to quote unquote, get the meeting is going to end up with you either having a phone call, you doing a Zoom meeting like this, in maybe some of you are going face to face and that will come back at some point, but net net your job is to get somebody's undivided attention and have a selling conversation with them now i know from how i was brought up in the corporate world and what i learned was you know initially it was get in front of them and show your corporate deck well you know e even when powerpoint was new it was still a snooze fest then i learned well you got to ask questions i'm like that totally makes sense so I went from presenting the deck and showing our company story and our history and all the groundbreaking this and all the awards, which, you know, I'm sitting there talking about myself and the company the whole time and watching people's eyes roll a little bit. When I learned to ask questions, that totally made sense to me. So I took out my pad and I wrote out all these questions I'd want to have answers to. And then I went into my next meeting and I had this list of questions. And the guy goes, you're not asking me all those, are you? And I'm like, well, I was planning on it. And I realized that, oh, that well, so be I, scary. <laughs> I thought I was doing the right thing. I wasn't, I, I, I had the right intention. I didn't have a roadmap. And, and here's what we're going to get into today. Bottom line is this, it's never been more important for you to be strategic in your sales process and your overall positioning. And here's why. Average sellers have 
great answers. Average sellers can talk about their products and services. Average sellers can show features and, you know, above average, we'll talk about benefits or advantages. But what you find over and over again, the geniuses, the top performers are the ones that have the great questions. And it's not just the great questions. There's a psychological order that's involved. Now, where does this come from? Well, I'm a research geek. I'm a sales research geek. I subscribe to magazines like Psychology Today. So if I can understand what psychologists are teaching that's causing changes in behavior, and I can translate that into what we do as sales and marketing professionals, there's a match there. I also study the sales research and some research that came out several years ago, which is so relevant today, was a, a group, the RAIN group, that went out and interviewed over 500 buyers of products and services, business-to-business buyers. But whether you sell to one person or you sell to big deals like I do, I, I think this is all relevant. And what they said was, how did you choose one vendor or one salesperson over another? And then they got the answers from the people that were buyers. These were everything from financial buyers to procurement people and sales and directors and mid-level managers, people that were involved in the buying process. And here's what the research says. You don't have to write this down, but follow it because there's a broader metaphor. 19% of their decisions had to do with the company and the brand impact. Okay, that makes sense. So they checked out the company's website. They looked at the collateral and brochures. And I'm not saying those aren't important, but those are not your tools that you're going to use to sell. It's a box that needs to be checked. Next, 19% of their decision had to do with the fact that the vendor or the seller or the company they were buying from had the products and services that they desired, and they could do it within their timeline. No earth shattering information here. Here's where it got interesting. The buyer said that only 9% of their final decision had to do with what they called value to price ratios, right? So while we're in the selling game, whatever it is you selling and anybody with, you know, some level of, of gusto is going to say your price is too high. They're going to try to negotiate. I mean, you know, I, I did a post a couple of weeks ago on LinkedIn to say your price is too high is no longer an objection. It's an expectation, that you've got to be confident in having the money conversation. And while buyers will tell you price is too high or you know, part of what their job is to try to commoditize you with your nearest competitor or the incumbent solution, and their job is to whittle you down on price. I'm not mad at them. That's how they're, they get a bonus. That's how they get raises. That's how they get promoted. People have to negotiate good deals. But the research says, less than 10% of their final decision had to do with the fact that the organization or the person was the lowest price. And here's where it stood out for me. 53% of their final decision had to do with the sales experience. Now, the research goes on to say, okay, what was it about that sales experience that caused this selling team or this seller to stand out? And this leads into everything we're going to talk about. The first and foremost piece that came out of the research was the seller offered unique and valuable perspectives on the market. Write this down. This is something I learned from one of my mentors from 10 years ago. His name was Chet Holmes. And he said this, and it's so true then, it's even more true now. 
market data is way more persuasive than product data, right? So this goes on to say that the buyer said, we wanted somebody that was going to come in and teach us how to be better buyers of what we were trying to buy. If you think about what it is you sell, you think about that, you, you work with existing clients that use your solutions and products, uh, you've seen what works, you've seen them get growth or improving their margins or improving their KPIs or happiness. Like you've seen that, you're in it day in and day out. Most people that are buying from you, this is only a fraction of what it is they're responsible for, right? So they're looking to you to be the educator. The research also went on to say the winning seller or the winning selling team helped them navigate alternatives. They provided ongoing advice or consultation. They helped them avoid potential landmines. In other words, you ever had somebody that came to you that said they wanted to buy whatever you sell? And what happens is average salespeople will say, absolutely, let's get that written up. Let's get the deal done. Great ones will say, I'm glad to do that, but help me understand what you're trying to do. What were you doing before this? What caused you to want to make this change or buy this house, car, widget, mortgage, whatever it is you sell? They ask the questions. And you know as well as I do, there's been times when you and I have bought something. We, we did our own research. We thought we knew what we wanted. We bought it and it, we realized that it didn't, do, it didn't get the outcome of what we were trying to get it, get it to do. So a great seller is going to do these things, offer perspective on the market, help them navigate alternatives, provide ongoing advice and consultation, help them avoid potential landmines. And the only way you can do this is using a consultative sales process, a step-by-step psychologically proven process that helps you get the information that you need so you can unlock what's going to be required to help them move forward. They also wanted to be educated on new issues and outcomes. This is why market research is so important. And they also said that the seller in a B2B deal had widespread support across the organization. I've seen other research and my experience backs this up is on a a small business or a mid-sized deal, there's typically going to be three to five significant influencers in the decision. Maybe it's operations, the company owner, and the VP of sales, for example. And they're going to collaborate and decide, should we buy this stuff or not? In the big deals, you're going to have on average between five and seven decision makers or significant influencers at that buyer's table. I've been in deals with companies when I was spearheading their deals and guiding them every step of the way where there was as many as 20 people at the decision table. 20 people who all had the ability to say no, and only one person has the ultimate ability to say yes, the ultimate decision maker. So the data backs up what it is I'm going to teach. Now, in 1998, I was working at a computer company called Gateway Computers. Gateway 2000 is what we called ourselves then. Some of you may remember that, the cow-spotted boxes and all that. And like all, the, you know, I all was, the heads I, bobbing up and down, like, oh yeah, in the in the cameras, everybody knows Gateway. Everybody knows Gateway. And by the way, they just announced that the the because the Gateway got bought and then, then that company got bought by Acer, and they're now you're gonna see gateways in Walmarts starting in October, which is kind of cool, kind of nostalgic. But while 
I had learned you got to ask questions and I put this big laundry list together. You know, I didn't have any mentoring. I didn't have any coaching. And I, when I was in inside sales, all of our, everything we did up through, you know, 1996, 1997, we sold computers over the phone, right? We had competitive pricing. We had great marketing. We had TV advertising. People call 1-800-GATEWAY and we could sell them all day long. And we decided we were going to get into the business side, like go heavy duty to compete with IBM. And then Dell was starting to make some noise in this time. So I decided to take a field role. So I went from being on the inside to being out in the field. And of course, at 28 years old, I thought I was going to go out and, you know, crush it. It was going to be a cakewalk. And I found it to be completely opposite. There was 11 corporate account executives in cities scattered throughout the United States. And I only had 13 accounts to call on. And when you've only got 13 accounts, you can pretty much make your calls in the first day, right? There was no email then. So I'm sending letters, sending faxes. I got nowhere. But through pure persistence, I was reading a book by a guy named Stephen Schiffman, if you ever heard of him on cold calling. I got pretty good at that. And I was able to get the meetings, but I kept finding that I would get the meeting and it would go nowhere. I found myself after eight months out of the 11 reps in the field, I was dead last. And I got that phone call from the boss that said, look, we may have made a big mistake. And if you don't get something going in the next 90 days, then we're, we're probably going to have to make a, a, a tough decision, which basically is code word for you're going to get whacked if you don't start selling something. I immediately went to what I knew, which is call somebody who's doing great and get their advice. You know, modeling is simply find somebody who's done what it is you want to do and study their stuff. And today it's so easy because YouTube, podcasts, webinars like this right now with Joe and you, you know, it's easy to go get the information. It's all out there. Back then, your only option was the library, the bookstores. So I went out and bought the top selling sales book written by a guy named Neil Rackham. And he wrote a book called Spin Selling, which you see right here. And what Neil Rackham, he was a, a researcher. He and his team observed over 10,000 sales calls. And then they delineated of the sales calls they observed, what was the difference that made the difference in the, the top 5% performers out of all those people they observed? You know, they watched some people that were terrible to just getting started to, you know, middle of the road and top performers. And then he ended up writing an entire book and building a company off of this. And he said, the top performers are the ones that ask the best questions. And they ask them in a very specific chunked out order. And he came up with this acronym called SPIN SELLING. It stood for understand the situation of your, your client or your prospect, uncover the problems they're experiencing as it relates to what it is you sell, Go deeper and understand the implication of the problems. Who else is this affecting? How is it affecting you financially? Um, questions like that. And then it said, deliver what's called a need payoff. Based on what you told me, here's our solution. And if we're able to do all this, would you be willing to take the next step or sign the paperwork or approve the PO? And now I went from having no questions and a presentation to a laundry list of questions that were in no order whatsoever to being able to group those questions. So I went into every initial meeting with a game plan. Now, in those days, I could do research through the local business journals about the company. There was no internet, right? 
So I would find articles, everything I could think about that, that would be in a local magazine and, or, or the trade show that was going on. And I would try to study as much as I could about the people I was meeting with, about the company I was meeting with. And then I would go in and ask the questions. And I started to find heads nodding, right? I understood what they were doing. I uncovered that there were problems. I went. The, I didn't go right to, oh, we can solve that problem. We can solve that problem. I was patient, like the book says, and I started to get some traction. Then it dawned on me, and I'm going to go to the next slide. It dawned on me that spin worked amazingly well, but not all the time. And as I said earlier, you can't keep launching old weapons on a new battlefield. So I came up with a, a new acronym and here's what happened. I was selling computers and I would call on these companies and I'd say, I'm with Gateway. And I'd call on whoever I could talk to, tech people, managers, directors, anybody that would answer my call and I would be persistent and come back and do drop-ins and drop off the cow spotted pen or drop off the t-shirt or, or bring in pizza, whatever. I was bribing my way into meetings. Almost everybody told me the same thing. We already have computers. We're good. I'm like, you don't have any issues? Yeah, we, I mean, we don't really have that many issues. It's not, not pressing enough. It wasn't a priority. And my only answer was that was, you know, what I read with Tom Hopkins. Okay, well, do you mind if I check back in 30 days to see if your business needs have changed? And they'd say, great. Thanks for the pizza, Gene. I was going nowhere. Now, I could mark my... KPI sheets. I scheduled a meeting. I ran a meeting. Um, in some cases, they would, they would throw me a softball and say, give us a quote on 20 units. But it never went anywhere. I was just being led around because those tech guys, they love the, the free pizzas and the subs or the donuts. I would just bring those things in. I was going nowhere. And then it dawned on me. I was calling on United Missouri Bank. If you're from Kansas City area, that's where their headquarters, that's where I, my territory was. And I was calling on them and they would gladly meet with me because I would bring them stuff all the time. And I was in a meeting one time and we're eating pizza and they get a notification that a large shipment of computers were coming in to their headquarters. And I'm like, can I, can I take along? They're like, yeah, come on. And these are the same people that said, we don't really have any problems, right? We're happy with our current provider. And what I did is I watched them as this semi truck came into their loading docks and I watched them 15 of the techs, they had to all come out of their, their day jobs of solving computer problems throughout the building. And they had to unbox these computers. They had to take the computers out of the box, plug them in, turn them on. And then they had to put their company's software, their banking proprietary software on the hard drive. They'd load it, which would take five to 10 minutes in those days with floppy drives. If you're old enough, you remember floppy drives. Then they'd have to test and make sure the software works. Then they would say, okay, they'd unplug them, box them, put them in the box, seal the box, put it back on a UPS truck so it could be shipped to the branch, the bank branch that the computer was going to. And I'm like, why are you doing that? And they said, well, we got to, you know, we got to load the software. And I watched them and it took about 45 minutes to an hour every computer. Now, if you can imagine, you got 100 computers, just do the math. And I'm going, what happens to all the work order tickets you have while you're doing this? And they say, well, they stack up and then we have to work overtime. Sometimes we have to work on the weekends and we hate this. And then I realized right there, I said this, 
what if I could load the software where we built the computers in South Dakota and ship those computers directly from the, our manufacturing site to the bank? And they're like, what are you talking about? I said, it's, it's a new technology. It's called disk mirroring. And they're like, we don't believe you. And I said, okay, give me an order for 10 computers. Give me a hard drive, load your software. I will drive it up to South Dakota. We'll build 10 computers. I'll ship them here. Then you can test them. And we did that. And sure enough, they all worked great. And they were like, this is freaking amazing. Then I got an order for 50. Then I got an order for 100. And they're loving it because I have solved a problem they didn't know they had. They didn't know there was a different way. They just did it the way they had been taught since the moment they walked in the door and got the job. So there wasn't a problem to solve in their mind. Then it goes on that the CEO decides that he was going to do a national technology reset. uh, reset. And that means they were going to replace every computer. It was a 5,000 unit deal. Now do the math at about $2,000 to $2,500 per unit, right? It was going to be the biggest deal in history. And then I thought for a moment, I said, this, this hard drive mirroring thing is working. So I talked to the contacts. I said, I said, who's writing that RFP? It's called a request for proposal. And they told me the guy's name. I said, can you do an introduction? And can you tell him about what we're doing with the hard drives? They said, yes, gladly. So I got invited to the RFP. I talked to the guy and I said, this is what we're doing. You should put that in the RFP so you can save this time because there's a dollar to that time. And he said, yes. So the RFP comes out to Gateway, all of our competitors, Dell, NEC, Compaq, and IBM. And they added this line item that says all computers need to be shipped to the branch with software tested and preloaded. None of my competitors could do that. Okay, everybody with me on this? Yeah. So for them to do that, they had to send it to a reseller. Those resellers had to unbox the system and load the software and blah, 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 which then inflated their price. So it priced them out of the market. I was able to win that deal, the biggest deal in the history of the company at that time, at full margin, my friend. Why? And saved them so much, even at full pop. Yeah. That is right. Now, so that's when I realized that while spin is great, I think I've got a, a different way I got to go. So I, I started working with this saying, well, it's not just a problem. Obviously, if somebody has a problem, that's the easiest thing to solve. If you're halfway articulate, you can win those deals. But it's helping people be exposed to not problems, but it's, it's a gap. You know, Tony Robbins teaches, what is a gap? It's, it's where you are and where you want to be and what's in the middle. That's the gap. So I started playing with it and I came up with a new acronym and I called it EDGE. And I always give credit to SPIN because that's the origin. But let me walk through this. Modern method of consultative selling. Now, remember this, everybody. Write this down if you're a note taker. You will be judged more by the level and quality of questions you ask versus your deep knowledge of your product line. You'll be judged more by the level and quality of questions you ask versus your deep knowledge of your product line. So let's walk through the four chunks of the edge process. The first one is this. E stands for you've got to educate yourself. 
Now, this is very simple. And if you've done any training in the 90s or early 2000s with any of the big names, you got to ask the, the five W's in the H, the who and the what and the where and the when and the why and the how. But in the very basic, you know, what are they really trying to do? Now, here's the beauty. There's no excuse for you to go to meet with somebody today or a group of people today or uh, going into a company today without doing research specifically on LinkedIn or Twitter or Google. Now, LinkedIn is just so robust right now that for any of you, if I was meeting with any of you, I could probably go to LinkedIn and within three minutes, I'd know where you went to school. I'd know your career progression. I'd know what you're passionate about. I'd know if you're involved in any charitable uh, uh, activities. I would know if we have similar contacts. LinkedIn is such a great tool for research. I mean, you can be at the stoplight or in the parking lot going into the meeting, do a LinkedIn search and know enough that you need to know about the person or the company to build rapport and ask intelligent questions. So you've got to understand what do they want to do? Where are they now? What's their situation? Um, how soon do they want whatever it is to change if they do? And, you know, the problem is most sellers, once they get to this point, they say, great, let me tell you about what we do. And then out comes that PowerPoint deck that says who we are, when we start, the stuff that's just blase, eye-rolling, whatever, who we are, where we started, here's our buildings, here's our executives, which means almost nothing to the audience because all they care about is themselves, right? Let's be honest. True. So sellers will ask these tertiary questions, say, well, let me show you our deck. Let me do a demo. Let me show you our software. Right. They're missing the boat now. So sellers will jump right into, well, let me show you what we can do. Here's what the smart ones do. I'm going to the D and edge is develop a gap. Very simple. OK, well, what are you looking to change? What could be better about your situation? These are sample. Now, you can go to problems versus using the words even better. Now, if I said to you, I can help you be a better salesperson. You might look at me and say, screw you. Who are you to say? You don't even know me, right? But if I used a simple word as like, you know, there's a good chance that I could help you be even better at selling or marketing or growth or profit. You know, see how just selective words can make a big difference? Now, obviously, if somebody has a problem, and I find that most intelligent people they understand what their problems are and they're looking for solutions to solve the problem. However, you may get your foot in the door and somebody says, you know, we've already got somebody for that. Then what do you do? You might say, well, how's your experience? Pretty good. Pretty good, like on a scale of one to 10 with 10 being outstanding and could not get better. Where would you rank it? Oh, I'd probably give them a six or a seven, really. Why is it only a six or a seven or not a nine or a 10? So you get into dialogue. Say, or I could say, what could be even better? If you took your current situation and made it even better, what would have to happen? And it's because you got to find that gap. If there's no gap, there's going to be no sales. Here's some other gap questions. What don't they like about their current situation? What are they not happy about? And if they say, you know, I wish they were, they had better customer service. And you said, better customer service. Tell me more. I'm sure you said that for a reason. What, what's up? 
Well, you know, we, for, for example, last week we called in, we had an issue, took them three days to get back to us. We didn't get the part or whatever for another week. And it caused us to have downtime. Really, what that downtime cost you? How much frustration? Who took the hit for that? Was it you? Were you the one that everybody was calling saying, where's our widget or wadget? So you, you say, the more you're in this gap, that's going to determine if there's going to be a worthwhile next step, if there's going to be a deal or not. I see salespeople, just they get a meeting and they get a whiff that there may be a deal. They throw it on their pipeline report and they're like, oh boy, we got a big one. And they don't know jack squat about what's happening with the company, who the decision makers are, who are the influencers, what are they using now? Why is it not working? Why are they even going through this process? They don't even take that time to know that. So you got to get into this gap. How could your current situation be even better? If they, and if they tell you, they say, well, what kind of problems is this causing you? Remember, I tell you that story about United Missouri Bank because this was the biggest deal in the history of the company. And for four months, they told me they didn't have a problem. They were good. They'd throw me some bones with a fake quote until I found something that could make their business even better. Everybody with me on this? Now, the next step is this. You find out that there's a gap. And you know in your mind, if there is no gap between where they are and where they want to be, there's going to be no sale. You don't just go buy something for the heck of it, something noteworthy. You might go buy a shirt that you see, but I'm talking about like, like here's a good example. I was taking a big international trip and I had an iPhone 8 that worked perfect. There were no issues with it. If somebody said, I'd like to sell you a phone, I would have said no. However, the holidays were coming. I was going to Singapore. I was going to Napa. And I wanted to take really good high-def pictures in portrait mode. So I made the, the justification to give my phone to my kid and go spend 1500 bucks on this phone. I didn't have a problem, but I had determined that there was an even better solution. So I went and spent the money. I mean, 1500 bucks is 1500 bucks. It's expensive. I developed my own gap, not because I had a problem, because I wanted something even better, okay? Next, you have to realize now is not the time to start pitching. Somebody says, well, we really have a problem with this software program. You're like, well, we've got the best software program in the world. Let me show you my stuff. It is still not time to start pitching because you've got to go to the G in edge, which is called create a greater gap, when I started working with Tony Robbins in 2004, he heavily influenced me, pretty much made it mandatory that I had to start studying NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. Now, coming from the Midwest and coming from a corporate environment, I'm like, what is this California woo-woo mind, uh, unconscious communication? And I, but I, I had to do it. Then I started reading the book by uh, the books by uh, Richard Bandler and John Grinder. And while it was a little bit over my head, I started realizing there was some really good stuff in there. So, stuff that I had never been exposed to in my 12 plus years in corporate America and seeing Tom Hopkins and Brian Tracy and Jim Rohn and all that stuff. I'd never been exposed to NLP. And in NLP, they teach a technique called future pacing, which basically says, if you have rapport with somebody, 
And you can get that and you can ask them to imagine six months down the road or a year down the road and imagine that the problem is not solved. And what would it look like if this continues, if they've exposed you to a problem or you've shared the benefit of your solution and you say, imagine this has been in place for six months to a year. Where do you see yourself? So you can future pace them into the feeling you want them to experience. This is what really moves people. Take their problem or missed opportunity and make it really big by future pacing. Why? Because the future, my friends, is an awesome force. Here's some examples. What will it mean for you to have this solution, whatever it is you sell, in place and working properly? Okay? Now, you can say in six months, in three months, in a year. But what will it mean? Let's just say that this, my widget does everything it is I said, Imagine it's working perfectly. Where do you see it? What do you see happening in three to six months? And oftentimes they're going to look at you. They're going to go, that's a really good question. And you just zip it up, right? Next, use the word imagine. If you study any of Kevin Hogan's stuff or Robert Cialdini's stuff, they talk about you know, seven magic words, seven most persuasive or seven most influential words. And I've got training online for that on YouTube and I've got it on LinkedIn. Make sure and watch my stuff. But the word imagine is so powerful because it's free. And if you have rapport, people can imagine things if you ask them to do it. So the implied future, what could happen in the future if this problem is not solved? What could happen in the future if this is not made better? And if you don't solve this, what other problems or issues will most likely take place? What could be the impact, right? So now think about this, play this out. We've educated ourselves on their situational analysis. We've developed a gap, either a problem that needs to be solved or problems or missed opportunities, or you can show them a way to help them achieve their business outcomes, more profit, more revenue, higher employee scores, whatever the, the outcome is of the person or people you're talking to. You've developed the gap. You've explained. You've asked them, what would it mean to have this solved? Or what could it mean down the road if you don't take any action? Or you continue to deal with your current situation that you told me was frustrating you. What could be the impact of that? Then you move to the final E in edge. Remember, educate yourself, develop a gap, create a greater gap, go to the emotional connection. Now, the emotional connection, you've heard this forever. Buying is emotional, justified by logic. Okay, we get that on the surface, but what does it really mean? Story selling or storytelling. Now, that sounds a little airy-fairy, especially if you're in the business-to-business -business market, but the emotional connection is your secret weapon. Anybody who's considering buying something today, including you, you want to make a safe decision. Let's play this out. You're going to go buy something on Amazon, not a widget. Um, you're going to spend a few hundred bucks on something, and you don't know everything about it. In other words, you don't know exactly the brand and exactly the model and exactly the make, but you know you need something. Like, like I had to buy this green screen for 200 bucks. All I know is I, need, I needed a high-end green screen. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know one brand from another brand. So I started doing research on Amazon, just like you do. Then you find the price point you want and you, you explore it a little bit. 
And I know you do this because I do this. Everybody does this. The first thing you're going to look at are the reviews. You're going to see the five stars, four stars, three stars, two stars, one stars. I'll always look at the, the a few of the five and four. And then I'll look at some people that were unhappy and I'll say, were they just having a bad day? Or is there something wrong with this product? And, and so I want to make a safe decision. So I'm going to look at the awards. I'm going to look at the reviews. I'm going to look at the customer comments, right? So will your buyers. So rather than just relying on them looking Use these as a selling weapon. They're called case studies. You have clients right now that could have bought from anybody, but they bought from you. They've used what it is you sell and they've achieved the desired outcome, right? What you promised them they would experience, they've got it. Can you articulate those stories in the form of a case study? So there's a radical difference between a feature and a product dump. Let me show you my spec sheets. Let me show you the widgets and the wadges. Let me show you all these technical specifications that average and below sellers can't wait to get into. But story is something that positively impacts everybody as long as the story is told in the right order. Our brain is wired to listen to stories. Think about how you learned as a child, how you're teaching your child. You're doing it through story. Next, the question you've got to ask yourself is this, who else have you worked with that is similar to the person you're trying to sell to? Who else like them have had similar experiences, issues, and challenge? So it might go something like this. Hey, Joe, I work with a lot of small business owners just like you. And what they're finding is it's almost impossible to wear every hat. Is that happening with you too? Absolutely. Something like that. Now, I'm using something that Joe or my prospect has said. The other thing you have to be wired with, so let's play this out. Who else like them have had similar issues and challenges? Why did your current client choose you? What'd you do for them? How are they benefiting in buying from you in terms of money, risk, and time? And I don't have enough time to go into this today, but those are the three drivers of decisions today. You don't make a price decision every time you buy something. You make a money decision. If I was making a price decision to get better pictures, I probably could have bought a camera for 100 bucks, but I wanted my phone. I did not make a price decision. I made a money investment decision. People want to make a decision based on risk. This is why your case studies, your white paper, papers, your client testimonials, and your awards are so important. And everybody wants to save time. And a simple sample says this, you know, Joe, we've helped many business owners just like you to improve their revenue and improve their profit. And we've done it through the, our proven systems. But let me ask you this, what would it mean for you to achieve that benefit? Very simple way to put it. Now, a quick look at case studies on the emotional connection. These are some actual, I have a marketing division that builds case studies for large companies. This is a company called Targus. They're out of Orange County, but one of the largest uh, backpack and computer bag manufacturers on the planet. So case studies are extremely powerful and needed today more than ever. Why? Because we are in a safe decision movement. You want safety and so do your buyers. It's not the product you're going to sell. It's the solution to their issues that you're going to sell. So if you haven't 
done a righteous sales process and developed and understood the gap, right? The bottom line is if there's no gap, there's no sale. But if there is a gap, the case study describes the solution to their problem. Now, what I say to companies is every company should have a library of case studies if you're a leader of a big company, and it should be mandatory that every seller memorizes the case studies. Even when I go into big clients like T-Mobile or Johnson Controls or Tyco Security or Panasonic, they may have some case studies. But if I talk to a seller and I say, tell me the story of how you won the Mount Sinai business, the largest hospital in whatever state you're in, none of them can do it except the one person that actually worked on the deal. And in some cases, that person's not even at the company. So they're, they're not story selling. They may, you know, send a case study that they find on their intranet, but everybody should memorize the stories. Here's why this is important. When I first started the, the, the business consulting arm of, of, a, of a company called Business Breakthrough, so Tony Robbins and Chet Holmes built a new program 10 years ago. I was the president of the consulting business. And in my mind at that time, I didn't think I had any stories. So I just told the stories I learned from Chet and Tony, right? You listen to them enough, you hear the same stories. I could repeat some of Tony's business stories or Chet's business stories because of repetition. I had heard them so much. And even though I didn't actually perform the process or perform what Chet had done with companies or Tony had done with companies, I could tell their stories right? That's why this is so important if you're in a company with other people. You want your proof to be associated with the current prospects, situations, and goals. Okay, Joe, I'm just, I'm making sure I'm staying on time. I've had to take a two-hour presentation and cut it into 30 minutes. So here's our executive summary. I want to leave room for questions or comments. If you love this, give me a shout out or a thumbs up or whatever. Bottom line is this. While the selling landscape has changed, your expectations haven't. And if you're in sales, you have KPIs, you have numbers you need to hit, you have pipeline and forecast, right? You still got to produce, but the landscape has changed. So while, you know, maybe March, April, May, there was a little bit of a break. If you're like most people, they're saying, okay, we have a new environment. You still need to hit your numbers. So we've got to radically change what we do. This requires us all to step up our game in terms of hunting, winning, keeping and growing accounts. There's only three ways that you will grow your book of business or grow your company. One, acquire more ideal accounts or ideal buyers. Two, keep those buyers. Retention is its own strategy that I write about, you know, a full chapter dedicated to that in the book. And then three, you develop those clients. The odds are you're selling one or two of your services into the account, and there's a handful of other things that you can sell. And if you're a big company, there's a lot of other things you can sell, but most sellers are so afraid of screwing up their little deal, they won't bring in the other experts. They won't bring in the other sellers. They won't even tee up the other services. So hunting, keeping, and growing. I call it rad. That's what we called it when I was at Gateway running a big division. We dedicated time to retention, we dedicated time, managed time to acquisition, prospecting, uh, being proactive, um, emailing as we got into the 2000s, proactive reach out in terms of the phone, letters, emails, et cetera. Other thing that you got to get, the best companies in the world 
are the best training companies. What I love about what we're doing here is, you know, you can opt in, you don't have to pay anything, you're not on the hook, but you obviously want more. And, you know, the best performers are the best trained people. The best companies are the best training companies. You are the competitive advantage of your company. I was going too fast. There's a misspell there. You control what you do and how you do it. I saw a video last week that was so good. A guy that was like a psychology coach for sports and athletes. And I don't know if you saw this, but it was, he was saying, he was talking to the Cleveland Browns and he kept saying, you control how you play. You don't control what's going on in the economy. You control how you play. You don't control what your teammates are doing. You control how you play. You don't control the weather. You control how you play. You don't control whether you love the coach or hate the coach. You control how you play. You don't control whether people are yelling negative things at you from the stands or sending you nasty grams on social media. You control how you play. And I've watched that at least 10 times, and it just keeps reminding me of the fact that I'm going to spend my time and focus controlling what I know I can do or learning more of different things I can do or say or how to market, how to use social media, how to build a podcast. I control my own behaviors. I don't control the other noise. It's all distraction. Consciously choose the words you say. Consciously choose the questions you ask in the order. Use the edge process. This is not me hypothesizing. This is 25 years of using it. This is 159 companies I've consulted, big companies and small companies where I changed their psychology of going into meetings and I've watched the results in 50 different industries in 17 different countries. This works. This is not you know me taking a shot at it. This is what I know works with a thousand percent confidence. Now, obviously, I, hopefully you got a ton of value today and obviously this is just the tip of the iceberg of what I teach. The best investment before I go into questions, my friends, the very best investment you will ever make is in yourself. I honor you for being here. Now, a couple of things I want to do, encourage you to connect with me on LinkedIn. Three to five times a week and sometimes more, I'm putting valuable content, market data on LinkedIn. That includes short videos. I call them the two-minute tune-ups. And I take a subject matter. I elaborate on it for two minutes. You can watch it quick. You can get that quick hit of energy, of inspiration, of strategic and tactical advice. Make sure you're watching those. It's free. I mean, come on. If you don't have two minutes, you don't have a life, right? So hit me up on LinkedIn, get connected. And those of you that are at a computer right now, I've got a, I give away a free chapter of my book. It's the very best chapter. It's on this exact same subject matter, how to run the perfect first meeting. So if you want to read it, go grab the free chapter at thesalesedge.co, not .com. It's www.thesalesedge.co. And that comes straight to you. You're not going to get hounded by you know, a thousand emails and phone calls and texts. It's, you know, I believe in a more attraction marketing. The right companies come to me and then we execute the sales process. Joe, let me turn it over to you. My apologies, Joey, I was muted. Yes. <laughs> so, no, thank you so much. Luigi, stop shaking your head. Yeah. Right. There's, thank you so much. You did fantastic. I love it because, again, I, I went through. So, I got this, right? It's, it's the educate. We got to develop the gap. Then we got a great, we have to make it a greater gap than it was. 
So we've got to push it forward based on using the words like what's in the future? What do we have that's in there? And then go back to our emotional connection. Okay. Am I right? And we got on this one. Now you brought up something that I wanted to, I wanted to get your opinion on. So two questions for me, but the first one would be, um, you said there are salespeople out there that are blocking or not adding the other departments or other products in a big company, right? As a big company, I can sell you 10 different things that are in there. So if I can sell you 10 different things, my question is, okay, great. Why would they not tee up the next person? What would cause somebody to then be that individual that says, right? So if Michelle's sitting down going, I'm doing the the financial plan for this person, I'm doing this and that. Oh, I determined that they needed something more than what I provide that I could literally down the hall go, Natalie, come talk to this person. What would prevent somebody from at least as a minimum teeing up the, the next person? What do you feel? Well, first of all, I see this in virtually every single company I work with. It's, it's the lowest hanging fruit, your existing buyers. And the psychology is most sellers want to stay in their wheelhouse where they feel like they have the most certainty and they don't want somebody else coming in and screwing up their deal. So a lot of companies I deal with now have um, what they call SME, subject matter experts or engineers on staff. And the seller's job is to tee up, bring in that subject matter expert to talk about whatever that widget is, right? Yep. And they're afraid to do that because A, they don't want some engineer coming in and getting all techie and screwing up their sale. However, the truth is their job is to be the tip of the spear, right? Like, like my company, my company evolved over the last 12 years, since 13 years, since 2007. At first, I was doing sales training, what I loved, and keynotes and end of year meetings or one day or two day boot camps. And part of when I go in to train a company, I want to, I got, I'm doing the edge process. I need, I want to talk to five salespeople. I want to see your numbers, what's working, what's not. Have you grown or you're not growing? What are your competitors doing? I want to do my research before I go give a keynote or speak for a day. Upon doing, having these uh, interviews and observing their data, and I got paid for that. I didn't, I didn't audit their business for free. I, because, because people don't pay, they don't pay attention, right? You know, I would have audited for free, but I found that people didn't show up to the meeting. The CEO was like, well, I can't control what they do. And I'm like, screw it. Okay. These audits are $10,000. If you don't like the plan I make, I'll give your money back. But you better believe when the, the business owner is spending 10 grand or 20 grand, depending on the complexity, the employees are going to show up to the calls I need to have to learn the info I need to learn. But I found that it was almost unanimous. Two things. One is most companies don't have a documented, well-trained and frequently trained sales process. They don't. It's tribal training. I might learn from Jamie and then I learn from Michelle. Then I work from Natalie and I get some tips from Joe, but I'm pretty much on my own to go figure it out. And if I'm a new seller and I'm hungry and I want to make money, I'm still, I may have the right mindset. I don't have the right skill set. But I would find when I would do these audits, other things. One is most companies, bigger companies have salesforce.com. You've heard of salesforce.com, right? Or they have a CRM. And I'd say, great, let me see your reports from the CRM. None of them could produce reports. I'm like, so you're spending $100 per person for, say, uh, salesforce.com. 
and you business leader are not getting pipelines and forecasts delivered to you through Salesforce and you don't trust the pipeline and forecast and your reps are sending them to you on Excel spreadsheets and I'm like, don't you know this tool does that? And I'd say, you need to go get your consultation. What I found is most companies, when they get their CRM, they turn it over to the tech team and the tech team is responsible for training and getting the reps going on Salesforce. The obvious mismatch of expertise here. And Salesforce, when you buy it, you get like four hours of consulting and then you're on your own. And that, while it's the most powerful CRM in the world, um, it's complex, right? So while they would track, you know, tertiarily track activities, nobody was using it. So I thought, wait a minute, why am I sending people to consultants for Salesforce when I can just start my own division? Found a Salesforce black belt. I taught her. She actually became the co-author of my book. I taught her my selling methodologies and the steps and all the things that need to be happening because Salesforce has to be set up to match the selling process. And that way you can get KPI data. Are our appointments increasing? Are our appointments moving into quote increasing? Are our quotes moving into wins or losses getting better? Are our wins or losses in terms of average gross margin improving or, or not improving, right? And when you got a hundred reps and everybody's singing off the same sheet of music and now you have data and intelligence to manage the business and you've got great training on top of it, and you've got measurement systems, it's, it's impossible not to grow. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Then I'd find in the audits that while most companies have a marketing team, traditionally in business in corporate America, the marketers are working on branding. They're working on trade shows and booths and the website, right? They're not thinking about case studies. They're not thinking about white papers and education-based data to be for the sellers to use to open doors or to post on LinkedIn. They're not thinking about that. They're not trained that way. And so I would go in and try to train their marketers and they'd be like, uh, yeah, whatever. So I said, screw it. So I started a marketing division. So when I, I may be the tip of the spear going in for the, the two hour keynote or to do a day of sales training or two days of sales training, right? right? I'm just the tip of the spear. Then I say, look, I need to audit the business. I'm not just going to give you something off the shelf. Let me understand what's working, what's not. I need to talk to five to, I need to talk to three managers and five reps. I'm going to get, have, give them complete um, confidentiality. I just need to learn the business. And unless they say something that deserves your attention, like, you know, I hate this company and, I'm ready to blow it up or something crazy like that. I said, it's, it remains confidential. And I just say to the reps, look, um, do you get paid on commission? Yes, I do. If you sell more, do you make more? Yes, I do. I say, great, we're in the same boat. So if I do my job well and you do what I say, you will make more money, right? Right, great. Tell me what screwed up. Right. I, I use better words than that. But, but it's still, it's gonna, get the, it's gonna get the point across because, right, it's their pocketbook. So- can you stop the screen share real quick, just so it can populate the screen for me, Gene? Yep. And then uh, we'll recognize out there that uh, Bob Donnell has thrown up on Facebook that for some reason he thinks you are a great trainer and a person. So I don't know where that came from. I, I am a person. Yes, I, I do. <laughs> I fit the qualifications. Yes. He said Gene is a great person, a great trainer and person. Yes. 
Glenn Morshauer has joined us. Glenn, welcome. Thanks for popping on. So, did you um, want me to start over, Glenn? Yes, Glenn would need you. He just got in, finished the acting class, so now he's here. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome, G McNaughton to the group. Yes. So, uh, any questions from anybody else as far as what the the edge is there? And again, you're giving away a free chapter, but they can seriously go on to Amazon to get the book. Oh, no doubt, get the book. Right. I mean, if you're a reader, it's that's Luigi. The best of everything that I've learned, and I and I am a nerd. I mean, a book reader like that was my only. I was in a small, you know, North Sioux City, South Dakota, through my professional career. My so my only mentors were the I books. Joined the National Guard. What's that? Sorry, that was Johanna's phone. All right. Um, my my mentors were the books I read and the cassettes I bought, and I just geeked out on that stuff. Zig Ziglar and Tommy Hopkins and Jim Rohn and. Augmandino and gosh, I mean, and I still got all that stuff, but, but I've been a nerd and then, and, and in my, in my personal life. Right. So at night I'd listened, I, I heard that if you listen to something while you sleep, it subliminally soaks into your brain. So I'd be listening to Brian Tracy all night in those cassette tapes that would flip over on their own. If you're old enough, you know what I'm talking about. They just keep playing. No idea. I don't understand what and you're then I would have, and I found my the harder I worked on myself, the better I got at the job selling management leadership and training. And then I, I found out okay, if I could take these complicated things and make them very simple for everybody to get. And, you know, I was in the right place at Gateway because we, you know, we went from 50 million when I started to 11 billion in revenue in 2001. And, you know, you know I was in the right place at the right time. And I was the guy that was doing all the teaching. So I, I've been able to teach things and, and look at the metrics and see what works. So I'm not trying to pitch. I mean, you make two, three bucks on a book. I'm not. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to give it. So on Facebook, reader, I copied the link to the book in the chat, everybody. I put it in the in there as well for those that want to pick it up and, and hold it. I'm going to tell you we need to step to Audible next. Right. That's going to be my question. If I, I need an Audible book. I, that's the whole reason I jumped over. I was like, I can go download this right now. Yeah, because the auditory oh, list. I know. I, I just got, I'm I'm learning um, Audacity right now. And okay. I've got a microphone and it's just, it, it's just putting the time in. And I heard it's super tedious, but a lot of people listening to audio books. Do you know Steve um, Sims? It's on my list. He did it. Steve Sims did it. And if he can sit down and put himself in a room and do it, I think all of us could. Yes. I mean, he's, he's my barometer. I'm like, okay, if Steve could go sit down and do it, then the rest of us definitely can do it. There you go. So, but perfect. All right, guys, I got to check out for flag football practice. And I hope this has been helpful. Um, Joe, make sure you send me a link. I'll put it on my YouTube and chop Absolutely. it up. And, perfect. And get it out. I thank you. All I appreciate you so much, Gene, everybody. Thanks for, for coming by and spending your time with us. And as always, go out and sell something. Oh, yeah. Good idea. Bye. This is the Sales Genius Podcast. It's only a numbers game if you want educated. It's time to get educated. Educated. Want to learn how to close deals. Want to learn how to sell more. That's what we're here for at Sales Genius. Let's go. You know, Joe has has done this for many, many years in the area of sales for a lot of different corporations and a lot of different industries. He's done a lot with the automotive industry, but he has done a lot with a lot of different industries. 
when he's talking to you, what I want you to do is I really want you to think about how can you take what he says, apply it to your business, your industry, and your your style. If you're not a perfect person, don't pretend to be a perfect person. If you're not, you know, uh, Andy Frisella, don't be Andy Frisella. Be fucking Joe. It's Dave Meltzer for some Q&A for the day. Hi, Joe. Good to see you. You guys ever go buy a car and you don't know how to not get screwed at a car dealer? Ask Joe, the BDC genius, Ingram. And that, that's my bread and butter where I come yeah, from. But course. like, I love, like, I always like, I love like what Joe does. Hey, Joe, Ingram, tell, tell everybody where they can find you and tell everyone where they're going to be. Because I'm sure there's a bunch of people who have seen you on here before and they see you on social. And, you know, you're keeping it real. You're keeping it real with, with good stuff. So tell everybody where they can find you and where Joe Ingram has the, uh, he's very powerful sales techniques. If you're in the auto industry, I'll definitely contact him. But he's a great guy. He knows all the tricks and the traits in the auto industry business. So 